Well, good morning. Man, it's so great to see you. Turn to Acts chapter 1 in your Bibles, and it really is a great day uh, to be here today. And uh, man, it's awesome what God is doing in the life of our church. It's really just been an, an awesome ride. Um, I do want to reiterate what Tracy said about groups. You saw tables out there. Um, I think they'll still be out there on your way out, too. I hope so. Uh, but I, there's about 550 people that attend our campus on a given weekend and we have six groups. So that tells me that there's a lot of people not in groups because those groups are not running like 80 people, all right? So uh, it's time for some of you that aren't in groups to say, let me pray about it, let me consider it. I'm gonna put my name down there. Uh, walk through and see who's smiling at you the most, right? Just kind of like, you can be like, I don't know, you or you, y'all fight it out or arm wrestle, whatever you need to do. Uh, get your name on one of those uh, sheets of paper and let them follow up with you. That does not uh, force you to go. It doesn't lock you in. You're not going to get on some email list you can't unsubscribe from. Um, it's, it's just going to kind of get you some information and help those group leaders follow up with you to get you plugged in. Um, but that's an important part of community for us. So I want to make sure that you uh, take the effort to actually follow through and do that because that is an important way to grow in our church. It's an important way to grow as a believer. Maybe none of them work, but you don't know until you investigate it. Okay, so go investigate it. We've got Sunday morning Sunday night and Wednesday night groups. So uh, one of those times is, is bound to work for you. And if you haven't met Chuck before, uh, Chuck is our new, he, we crowned him the group's coach. Uh, he said this morning, I still don't know what that means, but uh, he's going to figure it out really quick. Uh, but basically he'll be uh, coaching all of our group leaders and helping us look ahead because we'll need to add many more groups as we continue uh, to grow. We're sending some groups out to Haywood as well. Uh, so it's exciting. It's an exciting time uh, to be a part of our campus. We also, in our 10 o'clock service, had the privilege to ordain Larry Luba. If, uh, if you see Larry, make sure that you say something to him. Such a blessing. Um, Chuck actually said to me right before we did the ordination, he said, somebody asked me, how did we get a Roman Catholic Yankee to be a deacon at our church? And uh, I thought that was, that was pretty funny. Um, but it was a great opportunity for us just to celebrate what God's uh, doing in his life too. So um, what, what, a real, what a real blessing. We're starting this series called Sent today. We're going through Acts, okay? And um, so we're launching here in Acts chapter 1. There's a lot to cover. I feel like I haven't even taken a breath the first two services. Like, there's just so much. And, uh, and my notes are even smaller than they normally are today. Uh, so y'all are going to have to hang with me as we uh, kind of walk through this. I know the third service, y'all are like, he knows he can go long because there's no other service behind him. I'm still going to try and honor our clock. Um, but I love this series. It's really great. It's a reminder to us that the church has, is sent, that we have been given a task. You and I have been given a precious task to share the gospel with the world. Now, I don't know if, if you're like me, uh, but there are times when I will pull my phone out of my pocket and I will open my browser and then forget why I opened my browser. I'm like, okay, two seconds ago, I had a thought that I needed to look up and now I can't remember it, all right? And I don't, that, that makes me feel older than anything. Uh, and it's worse if you go to like uh, Walmart, or maybe I should say it's less, less is bad, um, because you go to Walmart and you're like, why am I at Walmart? Like, I don't even know what I need here. Like, what, what is on my list? So I, I've gotten to where I have to write things down um, anyway or put it in my calendar uh, to make it happen. But um, I think sometimes we forget stuff. Like, it just happens, right? And what we have to realize is that the church has forgotten the task that God has given us. That truly what we're going to talk about today is, is what is called the Great Commission. It's a passage that reminds us that as Christians, this is something all of us should have on the forefront of our mind every day. And yet, 
It's like we've pulled out our phone and forgotten why we're here. So many Christians just wandering aimlessly, almost missing the point of what our faith is for, missing the point that God has given us a message to carry forth that is, is incredible. Now, Acts is, is an awesome book. It's an interesting book. And if your version or whatever uh, version you're using may say the Acts of the Apostles, even though we just call it Acts, the, the, uh, the man-given name is the Acts of the Apostles. Luke wasn't writing it saying, well, let me write a book called the Acts of the Apostles. That's what we call it. Um, but each book in the Bible has a different genre, right? Each book of the Bible is written with a different purpose in mind. We have some wisdom literature, prophetic literature. We have the Gospels. Acts is written as a historical genre, meaning this is a book that we can read to see historically what happened with the early church. Now, that's not to say there's not great things in here that we can take theologically. What it is to say is we have to be careful to read this as a theological textbook. What we have to understand is that Acts is written as a narrative to describe to us how the early church actually carried forth um, after Jesus had already died and risen again, gives a final command, ascends into heaven. This is the early church pursuing that, uh, that mission that he's given us. So we have to also recognize that we are the church. Now I know like whatever you think of when you think of the church, you might think of a logo or a building. Uh, certainly once we get our new uh, worship center out here, we might start thinking of that, that building and what that looks like instead of this building. And so we tend to think about a church in those regards, and yet when the Bible talks about a church, it's talking about people. It's not talking about a building, it's not talking about a bank account, it's not talking about a 501c3, it's talking about the people of God. So, so you are the church. You are Upstate Church Harrison Bridge. I am Upstate Church Harrison Bridge. We together are the church. And so as we read this together, what, what we're saying is, what God is saying here is we send the church or we see even the church in the New Testament. This is our church. This is a continue, we are a continuation of what God began thousands of years ago as he began this work. And so for us to see how the church is moving is an inspiring thing, because to be honest with you, I would say, man, this is where our church puts our money where our mouth is. With places like Haywood, we're like, hey, we believe so firmly that God has called us to bring this message to the world, that we're willing to send people from all of our campuses who are serving in roles that may even be difficult to replace. Uh, who wants to come up here and replace Tracy doing the host? Like, that's a tough job, right? And, and sending them out to a place to say, man, let's, let's put our money where our mouth is, and let's say we care about our community enough to do that. And that's not going to be the last campus. I'm just telling you, if you haven't even like caught the drift yet, like we got other campuses that will come after that because God has given us and birthed in us a vision to care about the world that we live in so much that we're willing to do whatever it takes to reach them. And as long as this is working, we're going to keep pursuing it, right? Because at the end of the day, that's our goal. That's our message. That's what we're bringing. It's not about let's build up upstate church. Let's build up um, what we're doing here. It's about saying we are here for the kingdom of God. Now, just a little side note. Sometimes when you see church written, you'll see church with a little C, and sometimes you see it with a big C. And if you're like me and you're writing an email, you're like, I don't know, am I supposed to capitalize that? Well, if, if obviously proper noun, that's one thing. But if what we are is a, is a small C church. We are a local expression uh, of the over, overarching body of God, the, the global body of Jesus, right? We are a local expression of that. First Baptist Simpsonville Upstate Church, technically with a little C, okay? Because for us... We are local. Now, the big C would, would basically be the global church. 
So I can go to Thailand across the world and meet a Christian, and we're part of the same church. We have the same Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, and we are brother and sister as a result of what Christ has done in our hearts. So God is calling us as a church not to be so focused or so um, centered on our own idea of what we want that we're actually willing to say, okay, God, you're calling us to a greater purpose, to be a one part of a greater purpose in reaching the upstate. Now, my last church, we, uh, we did this cheesy outreach, and, um, and look, corn, corny works. Like, I know, it's, I know it's silly, but it works. But we had these little bags of popcorn, and we would knock on doors, and we would say, just pop it in. That's the, um, but we say, just pop it in to let you know there are things in life that are free, like God's love, and there is a church in your community that cares about you. And we'd give them popcorn. If they wanted to talk, we would talk as long as they wanted to talk. If they didn't want to talk, we'd hand them popcorn, we'd walk away. And there was one guy who showed up at the door and handed him the popcorn, and he, he looks and he goes, well, I'm Presbyterian. And I was like, well, it's non-denominational popcorn. Like, <laughs> it's, uh, it's for every, anybody, right? Like, because we're not, we're not here to build the Baptist church down the road. We're here to build the kingdom of God. If you're doing that at a Presbyterian church, praise the Lord. Let's link arms together. So, so the point of what, what the church is about is that even when it faces opposition, even when it faces challenges, God actually opens up opportunities in the midst of those challenges. Acts is an interesting book, and it kind of reminds me, uh, even as like a saga, and I, I think of uh, Star Wars. I go to Star Wars. Um, those of you who are astute enough to know that the original trilogy of Star Wars is the only good trilogy, right, of all the Star Wars. Um, when the prequels came out, if you think, you're probably like a millennial who saw it when you were a child, and you were like, that guy looks funny and sounds funny, and so you laughed at it, but it's terrible. The prequels are terrible, right? Like, there's, there's so much saga built around Star Wars now um, that, you know, you've got a million different shows, and they all kind of build on top of one another. And what's kind of interesting about the book of Acts to me is that it, it fits within God's story, this, this saga that he is displaying out through Scripture, right? We, we see even at the beginning in Genesis that God is saying, I want a relationship with the one that I made in my own image, a relationship with my creation that I breathed my own life into, right? And yet Adam and Eve choose sin and they disobey God and, and they create this rift in that relationship. And then there's this, this story of God even pursuing them to the point to say, well, now here's a sacrificial system that you can put in place so that we can have a relationship that's temporary, but I promise you there will be a better way. Hang on tight. There's going to be a Savior who's coming. And in the Old Testament, you see God's people who were like disobeying God and then obeying God and disobeying God and obeying God. And there's this flip-flop where God will send a prophet or a judge to get their attention and they start following Jesus again and then time or following the Lord again and then time wears out on them and they start to disobey God and look away and God has to call them back and we see this and then at the end of the Old Testament there's 400 years of silence where God's people were simply sitting and waiting and going what's next what's going to happen and then in, in the New Testament we see that man in the middle of that four or right after that 400 years Jesus is, is, comes to this earth in humble means, right? In a cave born um, in unexpected ways. The Savior of the world comes to us. And Luke starts to display that. And in Luke's gospel, we see actually Jesus' life 
coming uh, to, to presence in the community. We see his ministry sharing hope and love and him saying, not only am I God, I'm your Savior, I'm your Messiah, I'm the one who will redeem you and save you. And we see that in the midst of that, people were opposing Jesus, people were fighting this message, people were like, how can we beat him? Or even at one time, they wanted to push him off a cliff, and it says that they were unable to do so. I'd love to have seen that. That would have been really cool if Jesus just walked by, like, try to put a hand on me, you know, like, that would have been great. Um, I would say that, and I would uh, get pummeled to the ground, right? Uh, or thrown off the cliff pretty quick. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, man, this incredible opposition that Jesus faced, and yet in the midst of that, even to the point of the cross, he had a bigger plan that in the midst of opposition, he had an opportunity to display the glory of God and redeem mankind. So we see Acts, and we see this first book come about, right? Or we see uh, Acts come about. He references the very beginning that in the first book, it's almost like when you're watching a movie or a show, excuse me, and in the show at the beginning, it's like previously on 24. Like, you, you know what I'm talking about? And you have to get that recap and you're like, I forgot that they talked to each other two seasons ago. Like that changes everything. I can't believe that. They have to remind you of those things. That's kind of how Luke starts the book of Acts previously in Luke's gospel. Like he's like, hey, let me, let me catch you up on where we're at. That in the midst of opposition, in the midst of challenges to the gospel, in the midst of even Jesus' own ministry, he faced his own death on the cross. Now let me tell you about God's people. And in the midst of Acts, what we see is we see regular opposition to the gospel, even those who give their lives for the sake of the gospel, and yet in spite of that, the gospel thrives, and the gospel grows, and it expands. Now I just say this as a church that um, truly, the American church, we, we, we do not understand what persecution is. Um, what we think is persecution is somebody like disliked our Facebook post and we're like, well, I didn't sleep last night. I was up all night worried about what they thought about me, right? Like we, we don't understand what persecution is. And yet what we are going to see as we walk through acts over the next several weeks is we're going to see that in the midst of opposition, in, in the midst of being faced with even certain death, the church itself continued to thrive and grow. And I'm not saying we should pray for opposition or pray for persecution for ourselves today. But what I am saying is, could we not sit on this? Could we not just sit on this message as if it doesn't matter? Could we actually take it forth and say, this, this message truly matters enough that whether there's opposition or not, we're going to get out there and maybe even stir up some opposition. Like if there are people who don't think less of me, like I'm going to be so about Jesus that they wonder, am I sane? Like, but even Paul says that, right? Like if I'm insane, it's for the Lord. And if I seem sane, it's for your sake so that I could communicate the gospel. Could we have such a passion to follow him and do that? Tertullian said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And what a wonderful reminder for us that even post-Scripture, we've seen church history throughout the past 2,000 years where the church continues to grow and thrive in the midst of that opposition. That's you and me. That's what God has called us to. So let's read in Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, the 11 verses. It says in the first book, O Theophilus, now just I'm going to pause. I know I just said I'm going to read them. Theophilus was also who Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to. Uh, this, this means love of God. We don't know if this is an actual person or if it was like a pseudonym or something uh, to protect somebody, but he's writing to Theophilus. This is all we know about him. It says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given his commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after the suffering by many proofs, 
appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, behold, two men stood beside them with right, in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you will come again in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Oh man, what an incredibly challenging passage for us and just a, a great reminder. What I want to do is I want to actually focus here at the beginning <clears throat> and then I'm going to look at the end and then we're just going to, we're going to end with kind of the, the middle, the meat, if you will, of this passage. The first, the first thing is that the tomb is empty. He tells us very clearly, um, again, previously on Luke, he's like remind, reminder of what's happened. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them in 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. He's saying Jesus has died and been resurrected and actually dwelled among us for quite a while, right? And in the midst of that time, the people of God have, have been able to encounter him. 1 Corinthians 15 says over 500 people actually got to see Jesus. Now, you, you know, you might be a conspiracy theorist in the room, and some of y'all are proud of that. I don't know. But like, at the end of the day, if you tell me, like, okay, maybe the disciples stole Jesus' body, I'm, I might could follow along with that. But 500 people who have seen Jesus in public places who all colluded and said, I'm willing to die and give my life for this message in which I know is fake. I, I don't see that happening. But Jesus actually truly rose from the dead. And there's more historical evidence to prove that than so many other things that even came close to 200 years ago that George Washington was president. There's more historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. True story. So the reality for us is that we have to go, okay, Jesus did rise from the dead, and that is the hope that you and I are hanging on to right now. In fact, even Luke is saying, hang on to this hope. Remember that Jesus is the one who conquered death. He has the power to do that. He showed himself to disciples in public, and he showed himself to over 500 people. And so we can trust that. The tomb being empty is why you and I can celebrate and I've been there. It's been a long time, 1999. I got to go to Israel, and I saw the tomb, and it's empty. And if our Savior was in a tomb, you and I could go, you know what? He was a really great person. Said a lot of great things. Maybe even a prophet, but certainly not God. He's sitting in a tomb somewhere, and yet he's not. He's risen. We have reason to celebrate. We have reason to hope. If you're an early disciple, would you want to give your life and dedicate your life to someone you knew was a fraud? No, we have absolute evidence that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. The second thing I want to notice again here at the end is that Jesus ascends to the throne. Jesus ascends from them. It's really interesting as he said these things, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And even as a cloud has taken him, it says two men in white robes, uh, most likely angels, right, are like men of Galilee, why are you staring at the clouds? I think that would be obvious, right? 
Like if you saw somebody just like, if you were talking to Chuck and you were like, hey man, I was thinking about starting a group. And then Chuck just started floating up in the heaven. You'd be, I would stand there with my, my mouth just agape, right? Like what just, I don't even know if I would pinch myself. I don't know what I would do. That's what the exact experience they had. They were bewildered at this moment, right? They, they're like, Jesus just gave us this, this command. He just told us that we should be his witnesses. And, and, then, he, and then he left. Those, those words would be seared in your mind. I know sometimes we think about our last words to somebody. I love it. That's so awesome. Oh, I thought she was laughing. Well, it's still great. Still great. Um, she's, she's still going to have a great day. Um, at, the, uh, at the end of the day, though, man, um, those words would, would matter to us. And the disciples sat here in utter bewilderment. Now, I, I've told you all before that if I could travel back in time, um, which isn't a thing, um, but if I could, in case you're wondering, um, I would configuration. I think that would be my number one stop. This would be my number two stop. All right. Cause it would just be amazing to see Jesus giving this command and what that looked like as he, um, ascended into heaven. It does remind us is that he is our King of glory. It's a reminder to validate our message. But what I also love about this passage is that the angels are going men of Galilee. Why are you staring up into heaven as if to say he just gave you a command why are you still here looking into heaven? Why aren't you getting on this? He's going to come again. There's a sense of urgency that comes even with this message as Jesus shares this. Now, I don't know for you and I in the church, we're like, well, the church is 2,000 years old. There's not a whole lot of urgency going on for us. And I would say that's our problem. But you and I need to live with such an urgency that every day we're like, okay, God, captivate this day. Give me opportunities this day, even if I face opposition or, or, or um discontent or or uncomfortability will you help me in the midst of that to to display your glory to share that out i I love psalm 24 and several commentators pointed to this as as kind of the the spirit of this passage psalm 24 lift up your heads o gates and be lifted up o ancient doors that the king of glory may come in who is this king of glory the lord strong and mighty the lord mighty in battle Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. His ascension is a reminder that He has put the greatest message of the world into our hands. Now, if you were given, somebody came to you and said, hey, um, you have the ability, you know, we already have the ability to cure COVID. It's proven. We want you to be our mouthpiece for that. Like, I want you to be able to go on Instagram or on uh, Fox News or whatever, CNN, that doesn't matter, and you're going to be the guy that's actually going to say, hey, great news, our company has, has figured out how to, how to kill COVID. In fact, we don't even have to talk about COVID anymore, and that's the best part about this whole thing, right? Like, and so you, you, you have the ability to do that. You would be like, I'm honored. Like that, you, you know that people are going to love this news that you are about to share with them, right? It would be an honor to feel like I could go and display and, and, and tell this news. And yet Jesus says, I have way better news for you than even that. So we should feel such a sense of honor and grace and love to go, man, we are overwhelmed at the fact that Jesus wants to use us. Now this leads to the third thing, because he says, the Spirit will empower us. You're like, well, I don't have the ability to do that. And you're right, because the Spirit will empower us just as He empowered the disciples. In verse 8, He says, but you will receive power. That's a promise. 
you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's a promise. And then he says, and you will be my witnesses. That's also another promise. You will receive power and you will receive uh, or you will be witnesses and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's like saying in Simpsonville, in the upstate, in the U.S., and the rest of the world, right? He's drawing concentric circles out to say that as my disciples, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. I think we've got to realize that the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity that we should take seriously. Uh, we, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit right. Sometimes we talk about the Holy Spirit as an it, and we'll say, well, it, you know, it's working in my heart, but the Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, right? We're, we're talking about a person of God, and, and he says the Holy Spirit will dwell in us. Now, I recognize that in verse 5 can be confusing because he says, for John baptized uh, with water, but the Holy Spirit is going to baptize you. This is when Jesus says, hey, the Holy Spirit is coming after me after I ascend. And so for those early believers, they experienced the Holy Spirit and dwelling in their hearts after Jesus had left. For you and I, we get the privilege, as the Bible describes further, that as we follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. So on the moment of conversion, there's not a separate baptism for the Holy Spirit. At the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit enters our hearts and you become new. That's why the Bible says old things are gone, behold, our things are new, because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so no longer are you trying to wander around on your own and do the best that you can. You're saying, well, I am empowered by the Spirit of God living inside of me. I have a direct connection. Back in the day, in the Old, uh, in the Old Testament, a Jew would have to go to um, the, the altar. They'd have to bring an animal for the priest to lay at that altar and make a sacrifice for them. The priest would be in the presence of God. The priest would be the one calling those names up for the Lord, those prayers up for the Lord. And yet with the Holy Spirit dwelling in our heart, you and I are priests. We have the ability to talk directly to God ourselves. You don't need somebody else to do that for you, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. We need to take Him seriously. I, I, I don't know if, uh, if you travel a lot, but um, I recognize like when I travel, that they never think about plugs in hotel rooms. You know, like sometimes you got to move furniture. You're like, all right, I'm going to move this bed over here so I get to the one plug. The only things they have plugged up is like the clock radio and the lamp. And you're like, I, I, mean, I don't know why you have prioritized the clock radio and why a hotel has not figured out the importance of the fact that we all have eight devices to charge every night, right? You're like, I got my watch and my shoes and like <laughs> just plugging everything up, right? Because like everything has to charge these days. You're like my hat, my hat died on me yesterday. It was a nightmare. Um, we've got everything that we've got to plug up. And so I bring an um, extension cord with me, right? And I'm... <laughs> I just I have an extension cord and a, a surge protector in my bag, and wherever I travel, I bust one out. And I'll tell you, whoever's my roommate is thrilled, right? <laughs> They're usually like, thank you for that. That's awesome. Uh, can I plug my stuff up? And so one night, uh, you know, I plugged everything up in the wall, but sometimes those old plugs, you know, you could push in the wall and it might come back out, especially if you're behind a piece of furniture. And I wake up in the morning, and my phone did not charge, right? It's like under 20%. And there's, there is not a lot that brings more anxiety to me in my day than waking up at 20%, right? Some of y'all are living like that right now. Like some, some of y'all are like, I'm already on low power mode and it's only 12 o'clock, right? And, um, but for me, like, I don't want to be that person that everywhere I go, I'm like, do you have a phone charger? Like you get in the car with somebody, do you have a phone charger? Um, because that, I would just charge it every night. And I don't know how people haven't figured this out. Just charge your phone at night, okay? You wake up in the morning, it's going to be charged, you're good to go. 
Um, but somehow we haven't figured that routine out. This is, that was free advice. It has nothing to do with Acts, okay? <laughs> um, but for me in my day, when my phone is not charged, what I realize is that it hasn't been plugged in. It's not that the power wasn't available to me. It's that, it's that I wasn't doing anything about it. And it's not that, that oftentimes the Holy Spirit isn't available to us, because the Holy Spirit is available to us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us, and yet as believers, so often we try to do this in our own strength. We're trying to do it in our own, apart from the Spirit of God. We're trying to say, I'm going to push this through on my own, instead of saying, I need to, to release and rely on the Spirit. I just need to trust the Spirit of God that He is going to give me the strength I need. Well, I'm too afraid to go get on stage and talk, or I'm too afraid to go to that room and tell them about Jesus. That's okay, because the Holy Spirit is going to give you the strength that you need in that moment. Plug into what He's doing in your life. And the fourth thing is that the church is sent. God has called the whole church to be on mission. He has called the whole church to be on mission. Now, I said this earlier, we are the church, right? This isn't like, hey, we hired a, an evangelist on staff or we hired pastors to do that. He said, no, I have called the church to be on mission. You, the church, is sent. He says, you will be my witnesses. And the mission of God is greater than any obstacle in the world that we can face. Now, let me say it this way. If you are a missionary in the upstate of South Carolina, if you are a missionary in Simpsonville or Lawrence or wherever you came from this morning, and you recognize I'm a missionary in my own neighborhood, then when God calls you to Guatemala, that's just geography. Because you are already living as a missionary now. And that's what he's called all of us to do, is to say that, man, in, in J Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, wherever geography you call me to, Father, I am, I am here for you, and I am going to be your witness. I think the other thing that's a promise that's interesting he says to me or says to us is you will be my witnesses. That's a promise. The question isn't if you're going to be a witness. The question is what kind of witness are you in the world? And I think this is probably most evident to me in football <laughs> um, because we have coaches out there who are um, out outward Christians, right? They're, they're loud spoken Christian men and i've known uh i've known at least one of them who who is ill but occasionally you have somebody who outspoken uh believer who's also a football coach and there's a big moral failure or some big scandal that comes out and when we sit down and talk about it we're not like man he's a football coach and he did that right because you almost expect that you're like yeah we knew they were paying players for years under the especially auburn right like <laughs> we knew that was happening um now they're everybody else is caught up to them and um, and, and so like, but when a coach does that, who's been an outspoken Christian, we go, he was a Christian man. Like he talked about that stuff. We, we have a different standard for the people that we know are vocal Christians and whether or not you like it or not, the world knows you're a Christian. Your people in your office know that you're a Christian or at least should know that you're a Christian and you are a witness to them one way or the other. So you can say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if, if I have the ability to speak uh, or preach a message. And I'm telling you, in, in a lot of ways, you're already preaching a message. But you can control the narrative, or you can let it control you. You could say, I'm going to be a part of being a witness that shares this hope of the gospel. I'm going to let that be such a part of my life 
I'm going to say, God, I want the grace of God. Even, even in a coach in that scenario might be like, it's, look, I realize I'm not perfect and I'm messed up. The reality is I'm just a forgiven person, but I'm just as messed up as anybody else. And I need the grace of God as much or more than the person next to me. So please work with me. Please love me. Please forgive me and how I may have hurt somebody else. The reality is that you and I are witnesses. It's a matter of how we witness. And to be honest with you, I've never met a missionary that's come back from Africa because they didn't like the music. If God's called us to be missionaries, those things don't matter as much. I've met a lot of church people that left the church because they didn't like the chair. They didn't like the song or they didn't like, you know, the color of the walls. And yet, if God has called us to be missionaries, we prioritize the things that he prioritizes. In the midst of obstacles, in, the, in, in fact, even in the next chapter, we see an incredible miracle of over 3,000 people coming to know Jesus in one day, in one sermon, one incredible moment that would have been. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. So just final thoughts today, just as we close out. Cling to the promises of God. If you want to know the promises of God, you've got to know the word of God. Cling to his promises. Trust his spirit. In those moments where you feel incomplete and inadequate that's the time to lean into his spirit that's the time to go this is this is what i tell people when we go on mission trips i'm like if you're nervous to do that you should be the first one to sign up to do it right that should be the time when you're like okay if i'm a little scared to walk in that room now i have to go in that room that's going to mean i'm going to rely on the holy spirit to do this and not myself because if i go in there and i feel confident in myself and i feel good about it i might even trust my own gifts but in these moments I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to lead me. And the last thing is be the witness that He's called us to be. Be the witness that He's called us to be. To share what we talked about last week, the love of God with the world around us, that we would love our neighbor, that we would care so much about them, that we're not trying to fix their behavior. We care about their heart. God's going to fix their behavior. We want to see their lives changed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the love that you show us day in and day out. I thank you that this moment we have, we have to worship you and to lift up the greatest name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. And that even as we celebrate with this last song, we celebrate what you're doing in our midst and what you're doing in our hearts because we recognize and know that we cannot do this without you. And yet you have called us to be your mouthpiece to the world. You've called us to be your hands and your feet. And so, Father, teach us what it means to take the Great Commission seriously in our own lives and live that out. That our families would be centered around it. That our, our, our whole day would be calculated around how we can make much of the greatest message ever told. And Father, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.